Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I am joined as ever by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, director, and I can't stop here, this is backcountry. But I must stop here because we're about to discuss the utter masterpiece that is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Dan, why don't you tell the precious Arrowheads what Fear and Loathing is about, if you can... Um, it's kind of about the end of the 60s. Yep. <laughs> That's it. Um, it's an interesting uh, and sort of much like long in the making adaptation of Hunter S. Thompson's fantastic second novel, uh, second book, I should say. Yeah. And yeah, it's a sort of internal experience film mm-hmm. um, about two men who are juggling wanting to make a difference in the world with wanting to not have to abide by any rules the world sets them against the backdrop of the end of free love and the sort of like light fun hippie version of of drug frenzies that the the 60s brought us into the darker sort of swing back post-vietnam era of the 70s yeah that that's what it is. Yeah. And uh, can you remember the first time you saw it? Um, I'm trying to work out. I'm trying to work out. I definitely saw it very, very early on. Like, if not when it was released, then very shortly after it was released. And I really, really liked it then. Yeah. But I hadn't really gone back to it that much. Okay. And one of, one of the things about it, that I noticed on this rewatch was that about 90% of what I remembered from the film happened in the first 20 minutes. Oh, right. Okay. That's interesting. But not, but not like I couldn't remember the ending. I thought I remembered the whole film. I thought those events were spread out across the two hours. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously there are bits from later on that, that had stuck with me, but the, but the really all of the stuff in the first yeah like 15 20 minutes i i basically i thought the the lounge lizard sequence was like a midpoint <laughs> right okay that's interesting in my in my memory of it yeah. so it was very interesting going going back to it yeah i really like it i still really like it um and i think i probably like it on a on a different level now um and, and what level is that well i mean i think that when one is younger it's quite easy to just see it as like a sort of a fun chaos like drug movie mm-hmm. which i thought was brilliant and funny and and dark in places and i like that too and but i i think i as a as an adult now i recognized more of the sort of internal struggles and politics and other stuff that had perhaps gone over my head the first time yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, a, a very political film and one that kind of uh, definitely, definitely has resonance today. Yeah, I, I feel that Raul Duke and, and and Gonzo would be fighting pretty much the same people now. <laughs> um, yeah, n- yeah, yeah, yeah. Not much well, has was... changed. Yeah, they were. They, did you did you read um, Fear and Loathing on the campaign trail? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does seem that they were sort of stuck in a cycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. I guess the first time I saw it, I was at art school, and there was a little cinema on campus, and uh, they occasionally got new movies, and so it kind of made sense for them to screen Fear and Loathing because it was 
uh, an avant-garde art school. So uh, gonzo journalism kind of epitomized the performance writing mm-hmm. course I was on. But actually, I hated the course um, because I thought a lot of the people in my year were either kind of pretentious at best or hypocrites at worst. And um, I was a contrarian even then. So uh, for my final installation project, this has relevance to the film, by the way. Um, But yeah, for the final installation project, I created a survey of... 100 questions for my fellow students with which had hidden parallel questions so uh, there'd be something should be done to feed the hungry on there and then um like hidden later on was sometimes eat so much my stomach hurts and when i displayed the results i put the answers next to each other um and it kind of made everyone quite angry and uh, <laughs> my my tutor's written reaction to the project called it pretty vacant and full of fear and loathing um so he was quoting the sex pistols and hunter s thompson which i obviously took as a massive compliment uh and yeah he still had to give me a good mark because we had to write a short story to kind of accompany the installation and uh he said my story was too good to mark down uh but he was <laughs> he was clearly really pissed off about it yeah so yeah the watching re-watching the film kind of reminded me of, of that time in my life and um that was quite fun How- I was very you... young, by the way. I was, I was, uh, I went to art school very young, so I was still a teenager when I did all this nonsense. But um, yeah, a lot of people how, in my class. Um, were how did older. your classmates react to the film when it played? Um, so yeah, they kind of reacted to it in the way that uh, I guess you're talking about. You know, that they saw it as a drug, uh, a drug film, a fun drug film um, yeah. that was, you know quite which it, it also is which it totally <laughs> also not, is yeah, yeah no no yeah, yeah, i'm yeah, definitely yeah. not denying that but i actually you know they saw it as being fun and funny which it is but there's such a strand of darkness in the film and in the book that yeah people weren't really re- responding to or connecting to and yeah i just i find it an incredibly dark film and and actually watching the extras on this disc a lot of the darkness that i tuned into did come from Benicio del Toro's performance. And so yeah. to hear that people were actually scared of him during the production was very interesting because I was kind of scared of him watching the film. I, I don't know how you feel about that performance. Yeah, I mean he's yeah, he's very um he's very sort of intimidating yeah. in that role. Yeah. Um, he's so good. There's... Don't get me wrong, I'm not criticizing. He's fucking amazing in the film. Um but it really freaked me out when I first saw it. There's a quote from Oscar Zeta Acosta, who obviously Dr. Gonzo is based on. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to ma- I'm going to massacre it. I haven't written it down, so I'm going to have to do it from memory. So there's a paraphrase from Oscar Zeta Acosta uh, that is, a man in pursuit of the truth should expect no mercy and provide none. Oh, that's amazing. That's, that's brilliant. I and love it. And it's just, just <laughs> fucking great. Because that is, like, that sentence from the real man mm. is uh is amazingly summed up by Dottoro's performance yeah who and, is and this towering like behemoth with this like a very strong belief as to what is right mm. and also like what are innate freedoms and some of those freedoms are to you know get fucked up on mescaline and demand that your friend electrocutes you <laughs> and also to throw you know to to wave a real knife around um yeah we've discussed uh the use of real knives and prop knives in our personal lives dan i'm not sure if we've discussed it on the podcast but why they wouldn't give this um 
this madman uh, <laughs> who, who is super in character and very unpredictable, why they would give him a real knife in that context, I, I will never understand. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I kind of wonder if he, like, he just they had the real knife for establishing shots and they didn't have that bit planned so they didn't have a fake knife or maybe they did have a fake knife but it was offset and it was going to get brought in and then he just goes off on one yeah uh, gilliam gilliam talks a lot about how like uh, depp is incredibly measured and would provide exactly the same considered and pitch like aligned performance every time uh, whereas del toro was just sort of this wild beast <laughs> that you let off the leash uh, and because they had quite a low shooting ratio, you know, a maximum of two takes and a lot of stuff was done in long shots because they didn't have time to swing lenses and do new setups. So they didn't quite know how it was all going to cut together. And it uh, and the editor said uh, uh, it would take four days to cut a scene Del Toro is in and a day to cut a scene he's not in. Because like matching his performance across the takes was an absolute nightmare. But Gilliam isn't complaining about this. He says, but fucking hell, look what we got. It's amazing. Yeah, um, it, it's so it's a great commentary in that respect. It's a new commentary. It was um, filmed in, oh, sorry, recorded in 2019, just going by the dates that they talk about in the commentary. And yeah, Gilliam, <laughs> Gilliam is absolutely beguiled by the film. Like he hasn't watched it in a while and he's so proud of it. And, you know, he, he's crediting it to a younger man, a younger director. So it's, it's not yeah. like he's giving himself self-praise in a weird way. Um, but like he's just watching it with such a sense of giddy joy. And yeah, he is he's overwhelmed by Del Toro's performance um, once more. Um yeah, it's uh, it's a really lovely commentary. Yeah, it's really good. It's, I mean, it's an incredible disc. I think I'm I'm always very very impressed when Arrow managed to get a whole other film as an extra feature. Yeah, and the uh, what's it called? No something reason? No obvious reason? I think it, isn't it? No good reason? Is that right? No good reason. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is. It's no good reason. The Ralph Steadman documentary, which is really sweet. Yeah, um, and it's I think one of the things about it because it's a because Depp is presenting the documentary. Yeah. It's really amazing to hear how, like, how much those guys, I mean, particularly Thompson, but how much those guys affected everyone they met. Yeah. Uh, like, every actor who's played Thompson and has, like, stayed with him has basically sort of accidentally become him for a while. It seems like, you know, he leaves this indelible stain across the lives of every person he meets. Yeah, um, I think that there's a little bit about that in the other documentary, the one that's on the main disc, because, of course, oh, yeah. the, the, the Stedman documentary is uh, only available on the um, two-disc collector's edition. And then, uh, what's the name of the other documentary? Uh, oh, uh, it's buy buy a ticket, take the ride. That's it. Yes, um, and so that's on the main disc, and and Depp talks a little bit about that. How you know um, he was warned that that Thompson would basically stay with him for the rest of his life, and that there would be <laughs> moments where he'd react in a situation in the same way that Thompson would. Um, it's a really that is also a really lovely documentary. Um, you know, uh, I think all journalists uh or press people whatever go through a hunter s thompson phase um and i certainly did when i was studying journalism um this is a few years after art school uh did you try and deliberately derail any premieres or like <laughs> spoil the things you were sent to go and cover well i certainly combined kind of fiction with 
um, the fact of journalism, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a couple of set visits I've written or, you know, there's an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson that I wrote up in a very kind of specific way. And so, yeah, in those instances, um, I do have kind of the gonzo ideology in the back of my head. Um, so, yeah, even if you haven't met Thompson, if you're a writer and you've read his stuff, it will definitely um, stay with you and, and have an impact on you for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about Johnny Depp in the film itself, because he is insanely good. Like his So good. His voice, his physicality, his use of props. It's an absolute masterclass. Like, if... Hunter S. Thompson wasn't such a counterculture figure, and if the Academy Awards weren't a complete joke, he would have an Oscar for that performance because it's just unreal. Yeah, and and yeah, he is absolutely amazing. And to the extent that, to the extent that Thompson's voice in my head is Depp's voice. I mean, and obviously he was doing a very very close facsimile yeah, of it. Definitely. But when I hear him talk in my head, I hear Depp's version. Yeah, because it is it's so like. He, he absolutely consumes that character to the extent, and this is another thing that Gillian mentioned on the on uh, very early on in the audio commentary, which I hooted with laughter at, the red uh, car that they're driving around in yeah. the movie is Hunter S. Thompson's real car because in a very Thompson-esque move, Depp stole it <laughs> and drove it from Aspen down to Nevada. <laughs> It's absolutely brilliant, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I sense I've probably watched this a few more times than you because um, I uh, Johnny Depp is one of my favourite actors, believe it or not, and um, Terry Gilliam is definitely one of my favourite directors. Um, that's something that I share with your uh, lady wife, Jen. Um, we bonded over a shared love of Terry Gilliam. Um, and yeah, the direction in this film is at the same level, same high level as the performances. Like the 18mm close-ups, the Dutch angles, the the weird tracking shots. Like it's a filmmaking feast. I think one of my favourite shots is where he kind of walks into the hotel and all the cops are there. And you see them oh, in, yeah, in the, the overhead mirror. They're kind of doubled and so he seems even more surrounded. And then the camera drops down to the suitcase, which then goes see-through. It's utter, utter genius. I love it so much. Um, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about Gilliam? Um, I mean, I like his films. He's obviously, you know, I'm glad that this was directed by a different younger man. Uh, and not the one with all the shit old man takes that he's having at the moment in interviews. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> and, uh, right. Uh, let's, and on t- social media. Right, let's, but, let's um, have a quick chat about this because um, yeah. that is definitely an interesting... It creeps into the audio commentary line. a little bit. There's a bit where he's grumbling about political correctness and the uh, the, the guy running the audio commentary deftly swift like moves away from that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I... I am not a massive fan, um, something of an understatement. I do not like cancel culture. And this is an interesting film to talk about on those terms because obviously it stars Johnny Depp and there would have been a time Recently where vindicated Johnny Depp. Very yeah. recently vindicated. And I have to say, we had a co- like when this was first, first kicking off, um, yeah. we had a conversation about this and I was like, there, there appears to be no evidence for this. Um, yeah, yeah, we were you, you, Jen, and I were all yeah. very much in agreement with the fact that I think it was at the beginning of the of these things becoming pylons very easily. Yeah, 
Uh, and yeah, it's it, once these balls are rolling, it can be very difficult. But I think that also, you know, like I'm not saying we shouldn't watch Gilliam's films because he said some dumb shit. Yeah, I'm you know I'm, I'm not even saying we shouldn't watch Polanski's films because he's done some horrible things. Mm. But I also think that it needs to be understood. Uh, and and like I said, I, I genuinely I'm, I'm I I was satisfied with the distinction between modern Gilliam and old Gilliam, and yeah. he was watching it with the, you know on the audio commentary with a similar delight to me, although with obviously a great deal more insight, because you know the past is a <clears throat> the past is another place. He was another man. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, uh, and I'm sure he didn't have those shit takes back then as well. He was probably much more. You know, uh, people tend to drift to the right as they get older. Uh, I, I, yeah, I have to slightly. So my my own position on this is that I don't think he was a different man. He's the same man, you know, the same person who made this masterpiece is the same man that's that's saying what he's saying now. And yeah, people can drift to the right as they get older. But I think he's always had a kind of provocateur sense of humour. He always has. Yes, um, absolutely. And and so but I, but um, a, uh, it's just that you know, yeah. much like you know, Raul Duke and, and Dr. Gonzo spitting on that car full of people. I feel he very much identifies with that still. And I'm not defending, you know, uh, and I wouldn't say any of the things that he said myself, but I, I guess I'm defending his right to say them and um, still be respected as an artist, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, going going back to... I just to, fucking you know, hate this 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 whole thing with, like... If I'm not in the room, if I don't hear it myself, if I don't, you know, I, as, a, as an interviewer, as, a, as someone who's been in the room with people who have said stuff um, that they have potentially regretted, um, you know, context and tone is absolutely everything. And you don't get that on the printed page. And then you get all of these pylons that for some people, when they get defensive, they double down and make it worse. Um, and it's just this cycle that, that perpetuates and perpetuates. And, you know, I, I feel desperately sorry for Johnny Depp for what he went through in, in his personal life and then, you know, the, the lies and then he lost work and he lost his reputation and, you know, uh, and you can't defend someone. You know, I, I couldn't defend Johnny Depp. Or, you know, not again, I wasn't in the room, so I wouldn't necessarily defend him either. But there was a part of me that was like, this just clearly isn't true. Like, there is no evidence here. And everyone is saying that, you know, everyone who knows him is saying he's not that type of person. And yet there were all of those voices raging against him, raging against J.K. Rowling for having him in the, the Grindelwald films or whatever. Um, mm. and, and, you know, he lost his reputation and he lost work and you can't defend someone. And where are all those voices now? That's what I want to know. Um, why isn't it just as loud in defence of, of this man who suffered domestic abuse? I don't know. It just makes me fucking angry. This whole th- Sorry, <laughs> we've, we've slightly derailed. Uh, but yeah, it just makes me angry. It upsets me. Yeah, no, you're completely right. And, you know, all of these things are unique instances. And, yeah, you know, exactly. When someone, yeah, yeah. Does, when someone does something, when someone is accused of something they didn't do, yeah. you know, no two instances of these things are alike. Yeah. Um, totally. I, I think the, the difference is, like, I think you made a, a good point, although not 
although what I took from it wasn't necessarily the point you were making when you, <laughs> Thanks, when you said that Gilliam, it's all right, when you said that, you know, Gilliam's always been a provocateur, absolutely, and that he identifies with Duke and uh, Dr. Gonzo spitting on that car full of people. But that's not being a provocateur, that's being a cunt. And, you know, that, that's absolutely not acceptable behaviour, and it's not a fucking joke. We've just had, you know... Uh, um, uh, I can't remember which European country it is. There's uh, a, a really big LGBTQ uh, like bit of legislation has just happened in a European country. Mm. Basically, like really pushing back on homophobic behaviour, homophobic language, mm-hmm. um, like getting that kind of stuff. But they have put in the in the in the law, and I've not read the paper. I've just read summaries of it. Mm-hmm. That uh, that jokes are still allowed. Right. Like they've made a very specific thing to say. Look, you know, we didn't. You know, we're, we're we're doubling down on pushing back against hate speech. That's really important, yeah. particularly homophobic hate speech. But we are obviously going to still allow still allow passioned arguments and uh, and and jokes. Yeah. Now, obviously, I predict in the near future we'll have a whole bunch of people saying horrible shit and then go, "It's a joke," because we've already got that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's always going to end up being a loophole. But I think there isn't a way of Gilliam saying the things he said in those multiple interviews not just one and then riding it back to be a joke or it's certainly not a good joke and then there's that moment in the uh in the audio commentary where he talks about how uh he doesn't like free uh, doesn't like uh, political correctness and his argument is and i sympathize with this argument that he doesn't like it when the words are the crime not the intention yeah there you go yeah yeah but any well-written villain <laughs> will have you agreeing with like 99% of what they say and it's just that one little bit that goes too far. I just, I, I just personally see him as an old man who is, you know, clearly not as sharp as he once was. You can hear that on the commentary. He can't even remember the title of the film he's talking about at, at a certain point. Um, or Del Toro's name. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so he's not as sharp as he once was. Yes, you say multiple interviews, but I still feel that he has the personality type that would have made a joke, people would have reacted to it. So in later interviews, he's doubled down on that because um, he's annoyed by the people and, and like I say, you know, not, not quite as, as sharp as he once was. And in, in terms of the spitting on the car thing... Uh, I don't want to speak for him, but I think um, the characters would have felt justified in doing that and and not being um, twats or whatever, um, because those are the people that they see who have voted for Nixon and and brought upon the end of of, of the, the the sixties. So yeah, I think I think those people are, are the enemy uh, and. You know, there are certain people in in current culture, um, in pop culture and politics, who think they are on the side of good, but they are also the enemy. I hate people on the very far right. I hate people on the very far left. Um, And yeah, I think ultimately, if people take a cruel glee out of um, putting themselves above other people, uh, whether they're on the right or the left then I fucking hate them. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Fair enough. <laughs> Shall we move on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan, please, change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> 
I fuck. Where do we go from there? Um, <laughs> it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> should we talk? Shall we talk a little? Why isn't Why isn't Stedman in the film? Yeah, that's a really excellent question, especially as like stylistically, you know, whether it's the cactus, the recurring cactus, or yeah. you know, the bones or whatever, uh, and even like the the cigarette holder. Um, the way Depp kind of manipulates that to kind of match the art. Um, yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? But 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 I had I don't think I'd realised quite how much he was physically there with them for right. this stuff. Right, right. And and it's interesting that he feels somewhat uh I don't want to say erased because we just use it in a conversation about other things, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like he feels a little omitted. There's that bit in the documentary uh where he on camera Yeah, where he confronts and, and Thompson. Pres- yeah. Presumably drunkenly yeah. pr- confronts Thompson about like he, he literally says, your book wouldn't have been as much of a success if it wasn't for me. And Thompson does not like that at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean... And I think that was, the, that was the last conversation they had, wasn't it, before Thompson died, I, I think. Yeah, was it that or was it um, the thing about the Burroughs, um, where they argue about the, the Burroughs cover? Um, I think it's is it on the maybe. cover of the Times magazine, but... Um, where he asked I thought that him, was the same visit. Oh, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Um, but yeah, that that's. Uh, yeah, he seems cross that it got such a wide publication. Yeah, and and he? yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, this is it, man. Like, I grew up, you know, all of these double acts, and they break up, and you're like, oh god, you know, why have why have they broken up? They, you know, they're such good friends. They should be friends forever. Um, <laughs> And then, no, they hate each other. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, just like you and I, Dan. Uh, not really. Yeah, okay. We we, uh, we get a good two weeks apart. Exactly. <laughs> We're not fucking living together in a car in the Nevada desert. <laughs> yeah, oh, if only. But yeah, it, it's I, I like those little glimpses uh, of honesty. Yeah, it's, it is. A, I mean, it's not an amazing documentary, I have to say. And I think it... it is better served as a Blu-ray extra than I think as a standalone documentary. Yeah, I mean, I I was I was thoroughly into the 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 Tom, the discs, you know, the set and and yeah. watching up Thompson stuff. So it was it was perfect. Yeah. I don't. I think I probably would have still quite enjoyed it just on its own, but yeah. much more for the footage of him painting than for what the documentary was oh, actually God, doing. Oh God, I love that stuff. It's like I yeah. <sighs> Seeing that, that. And, and and the bit where Francis Bacon is interviewed because I could literally listen to Francis Bacon talk about painting forever. So. Yeah, no, I I adore Francis Bacon. There's a, a Francis Bacon reference and a little more flesh. Yeah, I, I think Bacon is insanely good, and so yeah, I felt exactly the same way. Um, especially as they kind of where he's talking about bacon and they just show bacon's image rather than you know any interview stuff and they cut back to the painting that he's actually making and and it's a beautiful connection um, yeah it's really nice yeah really really nice uh the set is great it's not quite as strong as the criterion release do you have that um do you have like a laser disc or something the, or? The, no i've got the i've got the dvd of the criterion yeah um that, criterion release that has more commentaries um, and kind of more of a presence from depp who is kind of missing here like obviously you know he is uh, uh leading the stedman documentary and, and that's really nice but um we don't get as much interview stuff and 
there's actually a, a cast commentary on the Criterion release, which is uh, really good. But um, so I'm not telling people that they should prioritise that over this. This is fantastic, and and it's, it's a, and it's a far new, and away a superior print. Obviously. I was about to say, yeah, exactly. It's a new yeah. restoration. It's 4K restoration. It looks absolutely stunning. So, and the extras here are are fantastic, but. If yeah. you can own both, then you, you probably I was, should. I was very pleased with how the CGI had stood up as well. I mean, it's not it's used quite sparingly. Yeah, but the uh, the digital effects have, have lasted very well. Um, I yeah, the whole I, thing I wish, like it could have been yeah. made like it could have been released last week. Like it, the whole thing yeah. looks fucking great. Yeah, yeah, really does. I um I wish there was more investigation into Rob Bettine's lizards because yep. I've always loved them. Yeah, he talks yeah. a little bit about it on the commentary, doesn't he? But um, yeah. it would yeah, have been it sort nice of acknowledges to acknowledges him. Yeah, it would have been nice to have more, and and it sounds like he did it for uh, a cheap fee as well, just to to work on the project. Yeah, which is it's a lot of work. There's a lot of full heads and suits there. Yeah, 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 and yeah. Uh, also, Gary Busey on the Hunter S. Thompson documentary. We should probably mention that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, man, it's an amazing cast. The, yeah. the people who wanted, because he's such a massive character, so many people have a like a an association with him. They, you know, they remember when they first read something, or they remember, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, and so, especially for these short parts, people were basically just like queuing to to be in it. Uh, and 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 you know sometimes it was just people who would later turn out to be someone and and it was good casting. I mean Maguire's incredible as the hitchhiker. Oh yeah, like he's they've basically <laughs> Perfect, yeah. he's stepped off the fucking page. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah. Except for the Mickey Mouse T-shirt, obviously. Well, but but even then, because the version on the illustration is Ralph Steadman's version of yeah. Mickey Mouse. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of still works. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we move on, I would really like to make it clear. That I, uh, you know, I just I don't like cancel culture pylons. That's all. I don't like bullies. So if you're not a bully, if you're just a lovely left wing person who, um, you know, wants to lift people up rather than destroy them, then I then I love you. Um, I want to destroy people too, Sam. It's just the bullies I don't like. Yeah, well, you know, everybody's got that in them. Uh, shall <laughs> we move on to recommendations based on the movie? I'm looking forward to this. Actually, I want to hear what you've got. Yeah, 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 okay. Um, can I go first? Yeah, please. Um, I, I, initially, I almost didn't bother with this one just because I felt it was a bit obvious. Mm. But um, as Jen is constantly pointing out to me, what I think is like obvious isn't necessarily indicative of what anyone else thinks is obvious. Jen, I am a, Jen, I am a very... I love you, yeah. Jen, and <laughs> you are so right. I'm speaking directly to Jen here. She's so right, Dan. So yeah, what have you got? I'm not. A, I'm not a very good litmus for public. Uh, no. Like, you know, what, what, pe- what people have seen, what people care about. Um, it's where the buffalo roam from 1980. Art Linson. Fun little side note. Art Linson was one of the producers on Fight Club, mm. and in Where the Buffalo Roam, there is a sort of question as to whether or not the. Uh, uh, Oscar Zeta Acosta, who is not called Dr. Gonzo in that version, and I can't remember what he is called. Mm. Uh, there's a question as to whether or not he's real. Oh, right. In a sort of uh, Tyler Durden Oh, right. That's very interesting. Way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and his presence certainly represents a derailing of uh, Thompson's 
better intentions. Hunter S. Thompson is played by Bill Murray in that version. Um, at the time when I thought I might not bother recommending this because everyone's seen it, they haven't. Um, <laughs> they really what haven't. I was going, what I was going to try and recommend, although I actually couldn't find it, so I haven't seen it, and therefore I can't recommend it in all good faith. Was season five, episode one of Saturday Night Live, right? Because by all accounts, Murray came back from filming. Um, where the buffalo roam and couldn't shake Thompson oh, wow. and was a fucking nightmare on set yeah. of, of the first bit of season five of Saturday Night Live. Um, and having heard about that, I really, really want to dig those out and watch some mm. because I'd love to watch these people struggling to perform with Buntress Thompson, basically. Yeah, he, um, he's he's a he's a uh, unique contrarian as well, Bill Murray. Like that is yeah. yeah. Kind Absolutely. I mean, so where perfect. the Buffalo Rome lack, lack some of the profundity of the novels, and yeah. whereas Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is very much about the internal experience of these men and the struggles, you know, that they're having, as demonstrated by how like lurid and and psychedelic it is, uh, where the Buffalo Rome is much more of an, a, a viewer's sta- like. Uh, position mm. you you're seeing it from the outside so the the drug stuff although bill murray is constantly drinking and popping pills it's not nearly as much of a drug film and it also doesn't quite have those shining moments of like third eye clean clarity that happen in both his writing and to a lesser extent but still more than in buffalo rome in uh, fear and loathing in las vegas where he suddenly has those sort of moments of lucidity where he sort of sees to the heart of the human condition. Yeah. But what it does do is it deals much more with whether, like, the the good things that they were trying to do when they were being good people. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a courtroom, long courtroom scene where uh, Acosta is trying to basically tie, like, threaten to tie up a small court um, if they don't throw out a load of like grievously overblown drugs charges, mm. like uh, it has a sequence where a kid gets sentenced five years to life for possession of marijuana that he claims was given to him by someone else, but who he won't name. Like he was asked to hold for, by someone else. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where Hunter S. Thompson goes on stage at a university to do a talk, and they're all fuck. All these young journalism students are hooting and screaming and cheering, and they're throwing joints at him on stage. And like he's a fucking rock star. Mm-hmm. It covers a much bigger period. And it covers about three books, um, like well, two books and a sort of article. But yeah, it's it's certainly certainly worth tracking down if you can. I've got an American DVD of it. It's super bare bones. There's nothing. There's a little bit of text on it, no extra features, and unfortunately, there's no subtitles either because I really wanted to photograph a subtitle of uh, Acosta with a Nixon mask on, storming <laughs> through a restaurant, saying, "I'm the president. I can do anything I want," which feels very 2020. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, yeah, that is a fantastic recommendation. Very good and. Yeah, one more quick footnote before I do my first recommendation. When I said earlier that I mixed yeah. fact and fiction in uh, in my writing, uh, I'm not saying that I lied. Uh, there is a, a thing in journalism called colour where you try and uh, make the piece as kind of vivid and as um, alive as you possibly can. Um, so whenever I was doing stuff that involved colour, uh, I would push my imagination to the limits um, in the pursuit of the truth. And I feel like that is gonzo journalism. Um, yeah. So I just want to make that clear in case people think that I've made up interview quotes or whatever. I 
have never and would never do that. Right, so my first recommendation based on Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is Eight and a Half, uh, the Fellini film. Uh, That's because Fear and Loathing to me is one of the most European-American films ever made. The whole thing feels like a Fellini film. And so I was kind of torn between this and La Dolce Vita, uh, but the dream structure of Eight and a Half makes it a better fit for me. Um, but if you can watch both, La Dolce Vita is in my top ten of all time. Um, but yeah, very kind of different tonally, but they're alive in kind of a, a very similar way. So yeah, Eight and a Half. Dan, what is next from you? Uh, my next one can, I believe, still be purchased from Arrow. It's with Nolan and I from oh, 1987. Nice one. Amazing. Uh, Bruce Robinson, who also wrote Rum Diary, which yep. also starred Johnny Depp, yep. uh, but, but wasn't amazing. Uh, it's kind of the other drug film from my teenage years, uh, like the other one that I really liked. Yep. Uh, and it's another one that, when seen through adult eyes, is much more about something else. Um, in that a kind of inability to be the art that you want to be part of, Mm. Uh, like sadness, disappointment, a feeling of like uselessness. Um, It's a very pensive film for a foot, despite how hilarious it is. Uh, I'm, I, you know, again, I imagine there's not that many people who haven't seen it, but then I'm always surprised if they haven't, it's, you you say fear and loathing is one of the most European American films. Uh, with Nell and I is one of the most English English films. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's an absolute delight. Potted synopsis for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, two unemployed actors uh, decide that they need to get away from it all because staying in the flat and getting fucked up on various uh, intoxicants isn't doing them any good. They'll go to the countryside to a, a family member's cottage and they'll clear their heads. And, uh, in their own words, they've gone on holiday by mistake. They are... <laughs> it's so fucking quotable. Do you know what? We should... We should uh, if Arrow do have copies left, we should ask if we can do that on a podcast at some oh, point. I'd, I'd love to, Let's yeah. I, I, I absolutely loved it. I was astonished, like, putting my notes together for this. I was amazed that it was only 1987. I thought it was so much older than that. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, um, it does have that timeless and I, feel. And I... Yeah, and I don't think I've seen it in at least 10 years, so I'd, yeah, I'd love to love to do it. Let's do that. Well, um, I have a similar obscure delight to, to recommend. Um, I love that we've gone mainstream this fortnight. Uh, Natural Born Killers, um, which is a, a kind of similar crazed mix of filmmaking techniques that are used to get into the psychology of its characters. I won't go on about it. Everyone listening to this will have heard of Natural Born Killers at the very least. But I think it would be a very trippy double bill to put these films together. Um, both very 90s, both very good. Even yeah. if Tarantino hates it, I love it. So, um, Well, interestingly, yeah. yeah, Tarantino didn't like it but couldn't do anything about it because it sold the rights, you know, sold the rights yeah. completely. Um, uh, similarly, but conversely, uh, Thompson had sold all of the rights to Fear and Loathing years and years before like absolutely in perpetuity and so even if he hadn't liked what they were doing and he did he couldn't have fucking done anything about it (laughs) well i so it was yeah i i actually um i was lucky enough to interview gilliam a few years ago um quite a lengthy video interview actually i'll dig that out and, and maybe tweet it uh uh, to go along with this podcast but um he talked about hunter s thompson's reaction um to watching it for the first time apparently he loved it so much he fell off his chair 
uh, in the screening room. Like they were all watching. He had him. some. He he demanded someone film him because he was like apoplectic with laughter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Um, yeah, that that's kind of lovely, and then uh, that kind of got them all through quite a tough period. I think just the fact that um, Thompson loved it because the first reviews were quite bad out of can, um, and I think everyone was kind of a bit crushed by that. Uh, Del Toro talks yeah. a bit about that on the interview on this disc. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I think I don't remember it being a, a failure. I don't remember it being like people panning it. I remember seeing it and loving it and yeah. just assuming everyone else loved it and that was kind of it. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was uh, a different era, wasn't it? Like, we didn't have as much yeah. access to um, to all the different reviews. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. Is that it? Have we done both our recommendations? Uh, yeah, based on. Should we move on to recommendations based on the past couple of weeks? I've got a bonus recommendation based on, For sort of. For fuck's sake, of course you do. <laughs> you couldn't just, just do two relatively mainstream films, could you, Dan? What have we still got? Quite, okay, still good. quite a mainstream good, film, good, good. actually. Go uh, it's, it's Rubber. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. By Interesting. Quentin, and I always massacre his surname, Dupuy. Yeah. Dupuy. Um, from 2010. The, uh, the documentary, No Good Reason, immediately brought Rubber to mind. And the more I heard... Uh, uh, Stedman talk about his relationship the more I heard Gilliam and you know everyone in the documentaries talk about the the sort of the mentality of Hunter S. Thompson the more I realised that the no reason philosophy in Rubber is essentially uh, Thompson-esque ah interesting yeah yeah and and, uh, Quentin has a uh, yeah, has this whole no reason thing in his filmmaking, and it's yeah, it's I, I feel like they're quite nicely tied together. So while I watched um, Where the Buffalo Roam back to back with uh, Fear and Loathing, I think you could probably do it with um, Rubber as well. Well, if I'm if if you're going to recommend Rubber, I'm going to recommend Steak. See, no, nah, so I didn't recommend Steak, which I think is an even better fit, even though it doesn't have the speech about no reason in it. Yeah. Because you can't get it. Yeah. You've been giving me shit about that. <laughs> well, uh, let's. Oh, it, this is a supplemental recommendation. So, uh, so yeah, yeah but okay, let's, let's try and use it as an opportunity to put pressure on someone to release that fucking masterpiece. Well, I've, 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 I've literally moaned at the person who <laughs> would be responsible for doing it at Studio Canal and it has uh, done nothing Fallen it's owned by ears. Studio Canal and ah. there's a French DVD of it um, which you can still pick up uh, relatively cheaply and there are there is a decent subtitle file kicking around that someone has fan translated so if you buy the French disc pull it onto your computer you can play it with subtitles which is yes. what, what i had to do when sam and i were watching it um but it's yeah it's an absolute treat steak i love it and the soundtrack's on itunes that's really good beautiful and is it is it sebastian tellier the the soundtrack for steak i can't remember uh no it'll be mr Wazo. oh mr Wazo. that's the director they're the same person yes but i'm sure he did well, yeah, yeah. i'm sure there's some tellier music on there as well but anyway whatever um uh i think uh, wrong yes. was a collaborative soundtrack, uh, but I think it was Tahiti Boy, hmm. not Sebastian Tellier. I mean, these are all artists who are kind of part of the same group. <laughs> the same French Franco soup. 
Yeah, the same kind of movement, the same time. So uh, yeah. there you go. There's a recommendation of music. We're giving you everything this this fortnight. That's a good one. I've, yeah. I've, I've ended. I've ended my career, and we've given you some songs to listen to. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> films from the past couple of weeks: Chained for Life. Uh, now, Dan, you told me to watch this a while back. It was oh a, yeah, a recommendation you made on the podcast, um, and it's actually out on Blu-ray next week. Uh, when you listen to yeah, this, yeah. if you listen to this when it goes up, it's on Blu-ray on February the twenty-fourth. So uh, I got an advanced copy because you told me to watch it, and you said I'd love it, and you were right. No surprise there, because I'm recommending it. It's an amazing film and a great disc. There's a really powerful interview with Jess Wexler. Um, on the disc and a very good audio commentary from the writer director um, though I didn't get quite as much information as I wanted on a very specific scene which I'm not going to mention for spoilers and I'm not going to say where it was placed within the film because of spoilers but I suspect Dan knows exactly the scene I'm talking about it's a fucking oh, I have a hunch it's an amazing scene um, <laughs> but all, yeah. you, you want to know more so um, yeah uh, I won't go on about it too much because dan's already talked about it uh on a previous episode but excellent structure it reminded me of fassbinder's beware of a holy whore um great performances and um yeah uh, a great ending as well so excellent movie chain for life on blu-ray next week if you're listening to this on the monday it goes up on february 24th i couldn't recommend it more please support films like this yeah nice that's it there you go. Um, so my first one from recent is a German Blu-ray that I brought into the country mm-hmm. for myself. It's a film from 1978, Italian film called Don't Count On Us by Sergio Nuti. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite a flat, almost documentary-style movie about middle-class heroin use in Italy in the 70s. Okay. It is bleak in its matter-of-factness and the fact that it isn't all, like, sort of... Is it Jennifer H., the film I'm thinking of? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, it's not It's not all, like, misery, doom and gloom. There are moments of, like, fun and you can kind of see how these people fall into this trap and that makes all the other stuff much, much darker. Yeah, it's a really, really good little film. Um, I don't think the director did much else. But it's yeah, it's really good. Ah, <laughs> um, cool. it's it's it was also widely considered lost until very recently. Oh, okay. I think the editor had an interpositive of it that he. Um, it's it's a lovely edition. It's got a nice book which is in English, although not amazingly translated from the German. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got some decent extras on there as well. So yeah, it's 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 really nice. And if you want a bit of bit of quite dry drama, um, it's really good. Nice one. Uh, that's great. Uh, now I. Haven't watched as many films as normal over the past couple of weeks. I've had quite a lot of like various bits and pieces on. And I've also been reading a book uh, that I'm not going to use as my recommendation because um, that's frowned upon on this podcast. We only talk about films, but the book is about films. It's Murderous Passions, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco by Stephen Frower. Um, and what oh, a yeah, fucking that's... book that is. Uh, I highly recommend that. Um, but... It kind of was beautifully timed, me me reading this book, with seeing a very early cut of Charlie Steed's next movie, the one that will be out after An English Haunting, um, After Dark. Now, that is a movie that I co-wrote with Charlie, 
Um, I think I was basically there to add sleaze. Uh, I'm not sure. But what he did with our script on the budget he had is nothing short of spectacular. It is like a mixture of um, Jess Franco and Jean Roland, who, who's kind of another influence on, uh, certainly on A Little More Flesh, uh, and Lamberto Barva as well. Um, it's so much fun. I'm so proud of it and of him. Um, it will be divisive, as things usually are. Uh, the people who love it will love it, and the people who hate it will be twats. But with a little luck, <laughs> <laughs> with a little luck, it will find its audience. Um, there is a very specific audience we were targeting with it, um, and as long as they love it, I'll be really happy. And yeah, I think he has done that audience proud. So, yeah, After Dark, uh, it's a very early cut. I'm not sure when it'll be doing the festival circuit, um, but I will be talking about it in the future. And, yeah, it just, you know, uh, I, I was proud of it, so I wanted to mention it. What else have you been watching over the past couple of weeks? Dan? Um, I had, uh, Jen and I had Mark Blackman and Roxy, uh, maybe Blackman now? They've got married recently over uh for dinner and a catch-up and uh and a, a fun bad film the other day and i had been saving savage harbor from 1987 uh which vinegar syndrome put out for to watch specifically with mark and right. it didn't disappoint it is uh, i mean it's got an amazing cast it's got uh stallone and mitchum are the two leads um, obviously, unfortunately, it's Frank Stallone and Christopher Mitchum. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh boy, they are amazing. But the thing that really, really surprised me was uh, an interview with Frank Stallone that's on the disc where he like he t- he knows about film and he knows it's a piece of shit and that he's not an amazing actor but he's like, it's kind of what I was doing. So, you know, I just went along with it. Brilliant. And he's he's not like he's not distancing himself from it. Mm. It's not that kind of this film's shit, but he, he makes some pretty solid references, a couple of little deep cuts there with, with his like cinema history that he's talking about. Right. And it's, yeah, it's really, really enjoyable, but he does. And this is maybe last time, maybe the one before I asked if people could find a film for me. I've got another one. If you can find, find it for me, <laughs> I'm really trying to find a copy of Billy Lone Bear from 1996. Uh, directed by uh, Sonny Landham, who you will recognise from Predator, the Native American actor from Predator, uh, who plays the titular Billy Lomber. He it co-stars, uh, obviously, uh, Frank Stallone, also Charles Super Vixens Napier and Brian Crime Wave James. Uh, it looks like an absolute delight, but um, I can't find it anywhere. I can't find it anywhere. So, yeah, I'm looking for Billy Lone Bear and also you should check out Savage Harbour, which is just a fucking stupid film. Brilliant. And and do you want to um, tell people about uh, who Mark Blackman is, just in case they don't know? Well, so Mark, uh, Mark was on the Miracle Mile episode that we did, yeah. talking about his interactions with the director. Mark is a director in his own right and a writer, and I've worked with him a couple of times on some short uh, narrative stuff, and he has helped me out with some some bits and bobs as well. Um, so he's just a, just good good film people. Yeah, and I'm hoping he, I'm hoping that this year he's going to do his first feature. So. Well, I yeah, I was literally about to say yeah, I'm very excited for that. Um, he's sort of done a, a lot of short stuff, but it's definitely time for him to do his first feature, and I can't wait to see it. He's got yeah. such a great eye. Like I can't remember what his Instagram is, but um, he takes beautiful, very interesting pictures on his Instagram, and that's always kind of a good sign. 
um, that someone has a good eye for a composition. And, and oh boy, if you want a conversation about Japanese posters. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no, I just thought it was important to highlight him because, you know, not everyone listening to this would have heard the Miracle Mart episode. And, you know, who knows? Some people, For some people out there, this may be the first episode they've ever listened to, in which case I am truly fucked. And uh, Welcome. You know, and also welcome. Um, <laughs> uh, let's go on to <laughs> extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. I do have a sort of extra feature. Oh, nice. I watched a whole load of the films that will be playing at uh, the Glasgow Fright Fest uh, 2020. I'm not sure if it's Arrow Video Fright Fest or if it's just a normal Fright Fest, but uh, whoever's running it, I have watched some of your films. And yeah, I I enjoyed uh, a couple of them a a lot. And so I'm going to recommend those as kind of highlights. I kind of thought about doing it as a, a preview episode and suggesting that to Dan. But actually, there's a lot less movies at uh, the the Glasgow Fright Fest, so it's kind of harder to justify. It's a, a lot full, smaller, a yeah, full yeah. episode. So um, we're, we're going to do it as a quick extra feature. So the the two films I really recommend you go see uh, are A Ghost Waits, which is a, a fantastic micro budget film. Uh, it has a kind of different tone to Here Comes Hell, but it, it gave me a similar feeling kind of that excitement of watching a truly great indie um if you have made low budget films or you want to make low budget films and you've thought about that side of it how you'd approach it you'll get an extra enjoyment from it because you'll appreciate how they got around various challenges in impressive ways but even if you're not interested in filmmaking and you just enjoy watching films at festivals uh i think everyone's going to come away from this one um in in a good mood the premise is essentially a guy goes to fix up a house it turns out to be a haunted house that is empty because people have run from it um but he's not scared of the ghost who's there and they actually start to develop a a friendship um yeah it's a really lovely film and uh i highly recommend a ghost waits at uh the arrow video fright fest glasgow 2020 (laughs) another one Uh, i would recommend which i think you might have seen zombie for sale have you seen that one i was just about to ask you if you've seen it no i haven't seen it yet Uh, right i've i saw the trailer when it landed a while back and i think it looks like it would be really fun yeah it would be massively up your street ask lou to send you a link um Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, that, that's where I got it. And yeah, I just think, I think you'll love it, Dan. I think it will go down massively well with the Fright Fest crowd. I think it will have a lot of people talking. Um, there's lots of kind of fun moments there. Um, and as for the rest, I'm under embargo about VFW, so I can't give it a proper review, but. Um, I will say that it has a lot of elements that will go down well with that audience. And, you know, I think it's it's worth buying a ticket to that one. Certainly if you want to keep up with what Joe Bigos is up to, because he seems to be uh, very much on the rise. And yeah, that is, uh, that's my take on the Arrow Video Fright Fest, Glasgow 2020. So Dan, shall we end this nightmare? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, go on. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> uh, I, I blame all, all the acid that I've ingested in the spirit of, um, you know, method podcasting uh, for everything I've said on this podcast today. But 
I'm high on adrenochrome. Hey, but if you would like to join us again next time, then uh, we will be doing Daniel Isn't Real, is that right? Yes, Daniel Isn't Real. And then I think it's Harpoon after that. So it is uh, indeed another another film for which we need to be intoxicated for the extras. Yes. Oh my god, I can't wait to to I'm listen to that, to that commentary. Um, but yeah, just so you've got plenty of advance warning because you know those are new releases. Uh, do pick up Daniel Isn't Real and do pick up Harpoon. They're both fucking fantastic, and uh, we will be covering them over the next uh, month or so. So yeah, absolutely. Although probably not like like third act spoilers but we won't be po- holding back too much so yeah do try and give them a watch before we uh, exactly. before we do the yeah th- that one yeah totally uh all right well uh i think that's about that thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional yep. <laughs> next time <laughs> thank you very much bye bye